For pastors, it's sometimes inviting to raise an audience because, you know, everybody wants to preach to a big crowd. But I'm not called to raise an audience. I'm called to raise an army. Last year, 20 people went through the Harbor Leadership Academy. This year, 22 or 23 will. And so Wednesday nights, as you know, we've changed somewhat. But here's the good part about it. Well, Wednesday nights, the, the first Wednesday of every month is going to be something like Pastor Tony Suarez, a world-renowned speaker that God has opened the door for what was little old Kingsland to be able to grab this guy and get him here. And uh, he's going to be with us on November the 7th. First Wednesday nights are going to be just a throwdown revival type, old-fashioned, just preach and let God have his way till if it's an hour, if it's three hours, it really doesn't matter. Second, third, and fourth Wednesday nights, we actually have several things going on. The um, Unshakable Life Group I'm leading right now, uh, which it was in here, it's going to be in a smaller area this coming week because you put 20 some odd people in this room here, it don't make sense. But um, the Leadership Academy goes on, and then after the first of the year, the youth will also be on Wednesday nights as well. So we're seeing a tremendous uh, shifting. Now, let me tell you what's in store. Not only does Tony Suarez, not only is he going to be with us on the 7th, this coming Wednesday, but on December the 4th, uh, Dr. David Cooper, pastor of the Mount Perrin Church of God, probably the largest church of God or one of the largest church of gods in our denomination. I had a wonderful opportunity of speaking with him, and uh, he's going to be with us on December the 4th. On February the 4th, uh, Dr. Marty Baker uh, one of the largest churches in North Georgia runs about 2,000 or so. Marty's, um, I don't know, seven or eight years older than I am. He's been in his church 30-something years, making a tremendous uh, splash in the kingdom of God. Matter of fact, if y'all know the Shanahan's, that's where they moved to when they left here, uh, Bill and Margaret Shanahan. So Dr. Baker's going to be with us uh, in uh, February. Then Bruce Deal. I don't know if any of y'all ever heard of City of Refuge. If you've not heard of the City of Refuge, you need to Google City of Refuge. Not when I'm preaching, but after church. <laughs> City of Refuge, Brother Pastor Bruce Deal. I'm telling you, God sent him there a number of years ago to reach prostitutes and drug addicts in the most crime-infested, uh, well, college park. Y'all with me? Right in Atlanta, Georgia. He's been shot at. He's been mugged. He's had his vehicle stolen. He's found dead people in his truck. He's just on and on and on. But you know what he has? He's partnered with Napa Auto Parts. He's partnered with several corporations so that when he gets these women uh, out of the life of drugs and these men out of the life of drugs and alcohol and stripping and whatever, he has them a, a uh, school to go to. That they guarantee if they'll finish that school, that they will give them a job, that they will find them and give them a serviceable and usable car to get them from home and to work and back so that they don't go back into that same lifestyle. He's making a difference in the kingdom of God. And Bruce Deal is going to be right here on March the 6th. And I'm telling you, 2019 is going to be incredible. We're seeing some great things. There's no doubt about it. But um, I, I just ask you, just trust what God is doing. Trust me as your pastor. Uh, and if some of you say, I don't know you, I just got here today. Well, uh, <laughs> that's all good. But uh, anyway, uh, listen, let me invite you. So if you don't know me, I'm Mike Sainz. I'm lead pastor here at the Harbor. And we are so excited about what God is doing. 
Um, the unshakable life groups are probably the most well attended. Uh, and it's not about just signups, it's about show ups. But we have uh, nearly 70% of all adults signed up into a life group. I'm excited about it, I'm stoked about it. Today we're going to, t- you see, we've talked about temptation, we talked about failure. We talked about last week the lack of purpose and why I exist on this planet. And and today we're going to go a different route. Today we're going to talk about doubts. I don't know about you, but I have experienced doubts along the way. Now I know some of y'all had it mapped out and when God told you, you know, years ago that this was what you was to do, you probably set your face like a flint and you never worried about it. Some of you women, you're strong enough when your husband told you 30 years ago he loved you, you never ask him to repeat it. You just know that he does. Right. And so you understand that that we all have doubts every now and then. And so I want to deal with that if the Lord would help me today. So um, I want to encourage you to um, let your friends know. Uh, about the life groups, you don't have to be a member of the harbor. You don't have to be a part of, you can come and just get in. We still have books available um, at the Connection Center. It's going to be a tremendous, and listen, this book, also we give this book to our first time guests. So this book deals with the toughest storms of life. When we talk about being unshakable, we're talking about being able to stand in no matter what the storm, if it's grief, lack of purpose, if it's uh, death, a trial, doubts, to be able to remain solid uh, when the storm passes by. Are you with me? So I want to talk with you today, if the Lord would help me, about keeping the faith in the storm of doubt. Keeping the faith in the storm of doubt. Franklin Roosevelt said, the only limit to our realization of tomorrow is our doubts of today. The only uh, limit to the realization of our tomorrows is our doubts of today. All things are possible is something another real popular guy said. All things are popular, are not po- popular, but possible to him who believes. And this is why Satan truly wants you to live in doubt, because he knows that Jesus has said that if you believe, there's nothing impossible to you. And so if the devil can throw every stone in hell of doubt at you, he'll do that because if you ever start believing, you'll be on the downhill side of victory. There's a great illustration that comes in the book called Unshakable, and I cannot help but tell it. And y'all know I'm a football fanatic, and you dogs, man, I'm telling you, y'all just put it on. You walked the dog yesterday, amen. I had a pastor friend of mine, he uh, had a gator dressed up in a casket, and uh, he said, may he rest in peace. And, and so anyway, uh, <laughs> you Gator fans, I want you to know we love you. There ain't no angst. <laughs> uh, you see, that's what it's about football is this. You get to brag for one year because you don't never know what's going to happen next year. <laughs> anyway, so enough about that. But anyway, uh, my pastor's coach, Nelson Searcy, who wrote that book, uh, has his, one of his executive pastors, uh, Carrick Thomas played football for the University of Furman, and uh, they were to face the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets in their heyday, you understand. Now, now I will say this, my pastor, Ray Dawson, was at the Georgia Tech-Virginia Tech game, and of course, Georgia Tech slaughtered them, so praise God and go Tech, right? 
Anyway, um, but, uh, but back in the day, Carrick Thomas was there and he played football for Furman and here's, uh, you know, what is slated to be an impossibility that we're going to face the mighty, you know, rambling wreck and it's going to be uh, a big deal. And the coach had to give them a pep talk. So the coach said to them, listen, you got to have faith. He said, you got to have faith. If you don't have faith, we might as well not even go out on the field. In fact, the coach made them chant, no doubt, no doubt, no doubt, over and over and over until they were completely convinced and had no doubt that they could, in fact, beat the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. The game would be aired to 70,000 plus fans watching on television. Uh, I mean, uh, in the stands and, and myriads on television. Furman did not doubt when they took the field, even though when the Yellow Jackets came out, they were massive. They said, we were heartened when we kicked off and Georgia Tech fumbled the return and we recovered the ball and, you know, we, we didn't get the touchdown, but we went up by three. They said, man, we were heartened and, you know, we still was chanting, no doubt, no doubt. And here we are and we're leading Georgia Tech. Our faith built as we went ahead 3-0 and and then we held our composure and kept the faith when they marched down the field and scored and made it 7-3. to And then again they marched the field and made it 14-3, to kind of in short order. He said, but, but we, we still had no doubt that we were still strong and we could still do it. And then it was 21-3. And the scores kept coming, and then it was 28 to 3. And with each score, our faith began to just wane a little. And that sinking feeling began to set in as it hit the 40s to 3. And then it was 56 to 3 in the final. And they had not only been beaten, they had been slaughtered. And when it comes to 56 and 3 in life, doubts start to set in whether or not you can make it. Those great Furman players had pepped themselves up. They had psyched themselves up. They had worked themselves up. They had done everything that they could do. The coach had pepped them up. Everything was going their way for the first minute or two. And all of a sudden, adversity struck. And they stayed strong. And it struck again, and they stayed strong. And it struck again, and they began to buckle. And then they began to bend. And it wasn't long, they were broken. And I want to tell you something. What you need to know today is all of us at some point experience doubts. Everybody has to deal with doubts and see doubts. Now, let, let me give you some of mine, just so you know me. I'll never forget when I was uh, about 22 years old. I'd served four years in the Air Force. I was, uh, you know, hit with what we called uh, uh, re-enlist or get out, an early out program. I missed it the year before. I certainly didn't want to get out a year and a half or a year and three months early, but it turned out it was going to be actually pretty much exactly, you know, to the cutoff. And I missed it. And I said, oh, praise the Lord. And so my separation date was April the 15th of 89, you know, and I, I said, uh, Lord, what am I going to do? I, I'm getting out. And I knew I had joined, I had come finally to grips with my call to ministry. And for three years, I'd been preaching the gospel. And 
So I knew I was going to get out of the service, and, uh, but I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do? Because Uncle Sam was, you know, paying the bills. The medical insurance was taken care of. The dental was taken care of. The kids was taken care of. I mean, it cost me $21 for Adam. And they paid me $21 for Carly. Are y'all with me? Isn't that sweet? It was great. And, and, but now it's time to go away. And, you know, I, I had doubts in my mind. What am I going to do? How am I going to make it? Well, the church eventually, in answer to prayer, asked me to come on staff as associate pastor. Problem was, they didn't have no real salary package. Well, I can't feed my children air. I got to, I got to give them some food, right? I mean, I, I can't live on a pledge that's not necessarily there. So they pledge $984 a month. That's rough. Yeah, you need Jesus. $984 a month. And I said to the pastor, I said, well, if y'all could make that 1200 Now, you got to think, this was 1989. It was still. And so, you know what? I did it. I don't know how this happened, but you just trust me when I tell you. I don't know how this happened, but there was hardly a Sunday that went by that I did not have some, and the church run nowhere near what we were doing, probably a third of it, about 200 people. But it, hardly a Sunday went by that somebody didn't walk up to me and put a check in my hand or a piece of money in my hand anywhere from $50 to $300 week after week after week after week, different people, different times, different ways. I'll never forget when I got ready to enter the ministerial internship program that some of our guys are in right now. Kelly and I budget. It was real. It didn't take long to work our budget out, man. You could do it in just a, you know, a few seconds there. But, um, so I said, what are we going to do? Well, we had to pay a deposit of a hundred dollars to start the ministerial internship program. And so, uh, you know, we, the money's not there. I said to her, I said, well, maybe next year, baby. We, we, we. And she said, no, you know, God's called us to ministry. I feel like we need to do it. So we're going to take Georgia powers money and just be a little bit late. This, I said, all right, let's do it. So we did it. How about the next day, a little white car pulled up out in the front of 707 East Langdale drive. And it was an old lady. Her name was Ruby Corbett. She had a ministry to the military. She was well up into her 70s that time. She loved Kelly and I. I don't know why. She just loved us to death. But she walked in, you know, knocked on the door. Brother Saints. I said, yes, ma'am, Miss Ruby, come on in. She said, well, let me tell you, son, I was praying last night, and the Lord spoke to me and said to write you a check for $100. Listen, God started dealing with me about my doubts telling me that I'm bigger than what you think I am. I'm able to do exceeding and abundantly above all you can think or ask. And every time it come down, I, I mean, I, I would come down to a bad, bad, bad spot. And I'll give you another one. I got to move on. But I'll never forget, I had, I had a man that lived next door to me who was a genuine drunk. I'm talking about, you just had to watch out for him, man. He was, abs- he was harmless as a dove, but he was an absolute drunk, man. Was, whatever he got paid, he was going to drink it up. When he come over to me one day and I was working on my old Chevrolet Vega, you can understand. And he just, oh, is there any way I could get a couple of dollars? And, you know, and so I gave him $2. Months and months and months had gone by. He was going to give it back to me next week. You know how that goes. So I just give it as unto the Lord. I knew I wasn't ever going to get it back. But I'll never forget it. It's probably nine months later. And, and we're down to the end and the budget is zero and I'm going to work the next day and I ain't got nothing to eat on. I'm just going. On my door comes a knock about 1130 at night. I'm thinking, who in the world, man? What in the world? I got to get the gun. I'm scared. You know? I go to the door and uh, I open the door and there he is. He's standing there. Can't hardly stand up. He said, bro, I got that $2 I told you about. Y'all with me? 
I had some lunch the next day. God has a way of dealing with us, you know? And so I'll never forget, you know, then, so that happened, and then I stayed there on staff for a couple years. I went to Claxton. I stayed for five years, but about halfway through my venture in Claxton, the Lord began to deal with me. He promised me and Kelly one night that he was going to lead us to a city. We were ready to leave. We'd been in the country. I mean, we literally thought we fell off the, the globe because you got to understand in 1990, this is when it was, we went to Claxton, Georgia. There was not an ATM machine. Y'all know that automatic teller machine. Now, some of y'all never grew up without, you know, Google never grew up without an iPhone, but listen, uh, there, there, you know, that's how it was. Nothing like that was in the whole county of Evans. There was only 9,000 people in the whole county and 2,400 in the city. And so I'm there. I, did, I grew up in Columbus, Georgia. It was the second largest city in Georgia at that time. So you understand, I fell off the map. And so I'm there, but the Lord promised me one night, I'm going to lead you to a city. Let me show you the, the, the verse in Psalm 107, 4 through 7. They wandered in a wilderness in a solitary way. This is the Lord gave us this scripture. They found no city to dwell in. That was us. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. And he led them forth by the right way that they might go to a city of habitation. And that city happened to be named the King's Land for us. Are y'all with me? Say amen. Now, nobody understood that. Matter of fact, that, that, you know, Kingsland wasn't knocking out heaven. They only had 15 people the week before we got here. I was running 100 where I was at. Are y'all with me? Say amen. They owed about $80,000 worth of debt, and I didn't know nothing. And I had $7,000 in the bank. But God said you're going to a city. And, you know, all my preacher friends were saying, don't leave security and don't leave what you know to go to what you do not know and what you can't understand. But if God said go... God will make a way. I remember kneeling down at the altar at the old church with a legal pad, and I wrote down all the things that we didn't have. I mean, we didn't have a sign. We didn't have a lawnmower. We didn't have, didn't have, didn't have, didn't have. I mean, I run out of lines. And I began to pray. And, I, and, and God says, listen, listen, I didn't have no young people, didn't have many old people. Y'all, we didn't have many people at all. But nonetheless, the Lord says, I'll be all of these things. And I'll send you this, and I'll send you that, and I'll give you this, and I'll give you that. Amen. And I said, well, Lord, what about that $78,000 debt? And God said, I'll take care of it. And I'm thinking, how, how are you going to take care of it? Let me tell you this real quick, because i got a lot of preaching to do. But Mr. Bailey died, who owned TDS Telecom. He left about $60 million. Guess what? It went to his church, the Methodist church there. They vetted all the churches. They invited all the pastors to come to a meeting. And this fellow looked down over his glasses and said, Pastor, you need to be there. I got there. Eddie Hopkins was with me. He was the treasurer. I opened the little envelope, or Eddie did, the treasurer had to open it. He opened that envelope, and there it is. We're going to give you, guess what? 78,000 or 73,000 and some within a hundred dollars of what we owed. And it's just like God to do it. And he says, see, there goes your doubt. I told you I would take you back and I would rectify this and I would bring you back to square one. Don't try to figure out how God's going to do it. I don't know how God's going to do it. I just know God is going to do it. 
Last year, we looked at $40,000 to raise to adopt Adeline. I remember bringing Adam and Chelsea right here and saying to you, you know what happened? On that day, you gave $8,100 toward that adoption. And from June to November, we raised forty. Thousand dollars. I ain't talking about just church. I'm talking about the family. Raised forty thousand dollars, and you were a big part of it. And that beautiful blue-eyed girl is here. Lord have mercy. I, I got. So I meant to just tell y'all. Everybody's gonna have some doubts. So if Adam had doubts, and I had doubts, and Dee had doubts, and you know, and Thomas had doubts, and everyone, it, maybe it's okay. Just don't you be overwhelmed by doubts. Understand that God is gonna work it out. So let me ask you, what doubt are you dealing with? Maybe it's a career move. Uh, maybe it's a, a, a proposal. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's faith in God. You know what? You're not the only one to ever have a doubt. Let me show you this. John the Baptist. Y'all remember John? Great man of God. Cousin of Jesus. You remember when... Uh, when his mother and Jesus' mother got together, the Bible says the baby leaped in his mother's womb and was filled with the Holy Ghost. Before the Holy Ghost was ever even poured out, it wasn't even Acts chapter 2 yet. Just so y'all know. So I don't know if the baby was crying or speaking in tongues when he got here. That's just an observation. But nonetheless, John the Baptist, you know, the Bible said that he had been prophesied to be the forerunner of Jesus. And he was. And you know what? He, he was preaching one day because John, his, his gospel was simple. It was repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. He preached the baptism or, or, of repentance. And you know what he's doing one day? He's out there baptizing converts. He's been preaching and people have gotten saved. And so he baptizes them and he tells them, there is one coming after me, preferred before me. The latchet of whose shoes I'm not even worthy to stoop down and unloose. When he comes, he'll baptize you with something greater than water. He'll baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Amen. And then he looked up and behold, there he was. He said, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And Jesus walked right up there to the Jordan River, walked right down into the water, put his arms around John, said, baptize me, John. John said, no, sir, I have need to be baptized of you. Jesus said, suffer it to be so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So the Bible says John suffered him. In other words, John baptized him. So John takes Jesus in his hands. Watch this, the son of the living God. And he baptizes him in the water. And as he comes up out of the water, the heavens open up, people standing all around. And a dove descends and lights upon Jesus' shoulder because the prophecy had said it is the one that he lights upon. And God echoing from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So I want you to get the picture. This is John the Baptist. This is who we're talking about. Fast forward now. It's the last week of his life. And he's in prison. And they're going to execute him. And he called his disciples to him. And he says, listen, guys, I want you to go back to Jesus and ask him one question for me. What, what is it, John? What do you want us to ask Jesus? Ask him, is he the Christ or should we look for another? 
We're talking about John the Baptist that held him in his arms and saw God and the Holy Spirit lit on Jesus' shoulder right beside him. And if John the Baptist had a doubt the last week of his life, maybe it's not so bad if you and I have struggled with one or two along the way. I'm so glad that God didn't take out all the ugly parts. You know how, let me say, God ain't like me because I don't put no duds up on the internet. If I preach one that just nobody likes and it stinks, it ain't going up. I mean, y'all wondered why T.D. Jakes never preached a bad sermon. It ain't that he never preached one. He never told you about it. Rod Parsley, great man of God, they've had duds too. But we're human and we're not putting that junk up. But Jesus ain't like that. When John had a bad day and said, are you the Christ? Or should we look for another Jesus? Include that in the canon of Scripture. They need to know. They need to know that Elijah had a bad day when he said, oh God, I'm the only one living for you. You understand? They need to know that, Lord, where's time going? So let me get on with it. You see, that's how it was. And then let me tell you another passage here. And you see, because we're not the only one that doubts, but here's a man that comes to Jesus. Here's a man that comes to Jesus in, uh, I think it is Mark chapter number nine. And the Bible said he came to Jesus. He said, um, and when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and the scribes disputing with them. And verse 15 says, immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and run to him and greeted him. And verse 16 said, and he asked the scribes, what are they discussing with them? And then one of the crowd answered and said to him, teacher, I brought you my son with a mute spirit. And it seizes him and throws him down. And he foams at the mouth and gnashes with his teeth. And he becomes rigid. And he said, I spoke to your disciples and that they should cast him out, but they could not. He answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I going to be with you? How long will I bear you? Bring him to me, he says. And they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him. Satan recognizes when Jesus is around. That's why demon-possessed people show out when they come around spiritual things. That's why they get all antsy and start showing themselves. He convulsed and, uh, you know, and he threw him to the ground and he wallowed and foamed in the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has he been doing this? How long has it been happening? He said, from childhood. And often he's thrown himself both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. That's what the devil wants to do to you, to destroy you. He said, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us. I want you to see the words of Jesus. Jesus said to him, if, Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Another one of the gospel writers said that Jesus said, if I can do anything, certainly I can. Jesus said, all things are possible. So he said, verse 24, immediately the father cried out. I want you to get this. I want you to get this. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. That is not a contradiction in terms. It is a gut level honesty when somebody tells Jesus, I believe, but help the part of me that's struggling. And I believe that would probably describe a myriad of people that says, Lord, I believe you. I'm praying, I'm seeking you. 
But I'm still, I'm, I'm still struggling with this old flesh. Did you know Paul said, you know, I know that God is good and I know what I'm supposed to do. And, 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 but I don't always do that which I should do. And that that I should not, I find myself sometimes doing. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will ever deliver me from this body of death? Oh, Lord. So, so let me try to tie this up if I can. I want you to come to a few realizations. We'll follow up with these in the life group. I want you to realize that following, when you follow the Lord, there's going to be some deep realizations. And let me just give you four or five real quick. The first one is this. You're going to realize it's easy to have faith when you're on a mountaintop. It's easy to have faith when there's only three minutes left in the game and you're leading by three touchdowns. You can go ahead and start shouting and start talking smack. Rest in peace, Gator. You know why? But if they're leading by one, kind of like Camden Friday night, I was listening to that epic game. Through a long touchdown pass, come back. We're going for two. If we get it, we win by one. It'll be 29-28. If we don't, it'll be 28-27. We'll lose. Coach Spire said, let's go for it. And I agree with the call. Live and die right there. We didn't get it. Lost by one. There wasn't nobody already texting. Go Wildcats. There wasn't nobody already texting. We done put them down. You know why? It's easy to crow when you're on the mountaintop. But doubts come easy when you're in the valley. It's easy when you don't have no bills to worry about to crow. It's easy when you've got victory. That's the first thing I want you to realize. Second thing is doubt is a sign that there's possibly a broken connection with God. The third realization is that doubt will limit the power of God in your life. If thou canst believe. The third realization is that Jesus only requires a small amount of faith. If you have the faith as the grain of a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea. The third realization is prayer is essential to overcoming doubt. Had a life group attender last week just gut level honest and said be honest with y'all I love God or I said I did but I just didn't pray no more I'm going to tell you life's going to go south when you quit praying it is it's just that's how it is so you remember these are some things you need to realize and why do you need to realize these well you need because some situations are going to come along and I'm going to give you just a few of them real quick number one difficult circumstances are going to arise Difficult circumstances are going to arise. Intellectual arguments are going to happen. Somebody's going to hem you up and ask you some theological, philosophical question that you don't have a ready answer for, and it's going to start doubts in your mind. 
And then there's going to be imperfect Christians that live like hell and try to convince you everything's all right in their life and that they've worked it out with God. If, I, if you're not careful, those... I mean, none of us are perfect, don't get me wrong. But I'm talking about people that ain't even giving it a good shot and just saying, hey, God's got this. And then the next thing you'll deal with is spiritual dryness. Everybody goes through valleys. And then there'll be recurring sins that you're struggling to get victory over. And everybody has, I don't know what your vice may be, what it is, but that thing that you struggle, that's what Paul was talking about, whatever that struggle continues to be until we continue to lay it at Jesus' feet. I want to close with this. He was one of his disciples. His name was Thomas, called Didymus, the doubter. And the Bible said that Thomas was not there when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, when he first appeared to the disciples. And all of the disciples come to Jesus and they said, we have seen the Lord. And they spoke convincingly, but yet Thomas said, unless I see him with my eyes, unless I put my hand into his side where I saw the spear go, I shall not believe. The next time the brothers were gathered together inside a house, fearing from the authorities. Thomas was with them this time and Jesus just came right through the wall and just showed up. Thomas looked at him and Jesus said, Thomas, he said, Lord, Jesus said, handle me and see. He opened his robe. Thomas fell on his knees. And he uttered some words. I believe he was holding his hand. I, I just, just let me just picture this how I want to. And he said, my Lord and my God. Before he said, I ain't going to believe it unless I see it. But now he's holding the prince in his hands. He's rubbing his side. And he said, you're my Lord. And my God, I'm telling you, my friends, as you stand with me, doubts will keep victory from us. God showed us that so we could see and so that we could believe even in the midst of difficult circumstances, so that we could believe even in the valley of decision. So if you're here today, and you're struggling and you're in the storm of doubt and disbelief. The storm of fear is upon you. The only way to remain unshakable is to put your hand in the nail-scarred hand of Jesus and say, I don't know how, God. I don't know how I'm going to make it but I'm going to hold to the unchanging hand of God. I'm going to look into the piercing eyes of Jesus. I'm going to believe on Him, the one that lived and died and rose again for me. So Lord, I place us in Your hands today. 
I wonder if you're here today and you say, Pastor, I want to put my hands in the hand of the Savior. Can I see your hand? Whatever doubts you're facing right now, whatever desperation and fear, God is able to minister to you right now in the valley of decision. Right there when it seems like there is no hope and everything's upside down. You see, I told you, Furman said they were confident. But when it's 56 to 3 in life, doubts begin to creep in. So if you're here today and you're doubting, I pray for you in the name of Jesus. Turn your doubts over to the Lord. Cast all of your cares upon Him, for He cares for you. In the name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen and Amen. What an awesome.